name is Francisco, the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. If you're a guest or visiting us with us this morning, we're thrilled that you're here. We want to let you know that we're church is simply about Jesus. We believe that when you encounter him, it, it changes everything. Um, and if you've been with us, usually the months of January and August are months where we just dedicate to prayer. We call them 21 days of prayer. And they're just great seasons for us to kind of refocus and redirect our hearts back to Jesus, back to his mission as we prepare for the next season that God would have for us. And so what we've been doing in August is we've been challenging each other really to invite your one. And we kept saying from up here, who's the one that God would have you invite? Who would God have you to start to share the gospel with? And so a real cool story. Um, this uh, yesterday, I was able to finally kind of get one of the grills of my dream, like, dreams. Like, I, I, I'm a weird guy. I, like, I'm always looking for the latest and greatest grill. But I finally got one, and it, and it was really heavy, and I had no idea how heavy it was. But I was um, ignorant enough to think that after I loaded it on my truck, when I got to my house, I could take it off the truck myself. And so I got there. A guy finally got to into uh, my house, pulled up, put down the latch of the truck, and I, I was like, I got this. And I, I couldn't even lift the thing. I was like, what's, you know, so I was like, what do I do? And so um, lo and behold, the very person that God's put on my heart for the invite my one, I kept praying. It's like, Lord, I don't talk with this guy. I think I maybe had one or two conversations with him. I don't know how to engage that. Lord, can you make it happen? And so lo and behold, this grill on my truck opened up the door for a conversation, but then it evolved into other things. And I was like, oh God, you're, 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 you're clever. You know how you work. You gifted me with the grill. And allowed me, I was just kidding. <laughs> so here's what we were doing. We designed a sermon series starting the second uh, Sunday of September, and we're calling it Rethink Religion. We designed this sermon series with your friend or your family, your coworker in mind. We want to help them think through what the gospel is and what Christianity is. And that is not a religion like so many of us think. It's the only thing that can really deal with the heart. And so out these two doors, we have these signs with a big graphic and a bunch of invites, okay? These are invitations that we want you to take to your friend and invite. And so if you want to be audacious and ambitious, Grab a whole bunch of them and just start handing them out to other people because at the end of the day, we want people to hear about Jesus. And this next month, and we're going to continue to pray, and when we do worship under the oaks, we are going to be praying that people see Jesus clearly, that people come to a saving faith and that their lives move from death to life. Amen, church? That's why we do what we do, and we want to encourage you to be a part of that, okay? So we are wrapping up the sermon series this morning Dealing with prayers on the front line, because something we have discovered now is that our lives are on the front line. We are in a war, regardless if you realize it or not. You have an enemy that is out to take you down, regardless if you believe it or not. It doesn't matter to Satan if you acknowledge him, if you believe in him or not. His plan and his purpose is to steal any kind of connection that you have with God to eventually kill that connection with God and destroy you. That's his plan. And so as we looked at last week, Jesus made it crystal clear that one of the best ways, in fact, probably the only way for us to stand in his strength is to watch and pray so that we don't fall into temptation. And if you were like me, you were left with this question going, okay, if prayer is how we put on the armor of God, and if prayer is how we stand to fight the, you know, this, this battle, how do we pray? What does this look like? So this morning, 
I have been praying for you that you walk out of here encouraged to keep on praying, to persist even when it feels foolish, to persist even when you wonder what God is up to, to persist even when your heart is hardened because it doesn't feel like God is answering you, to keep going. And so what I want us to do is to look at the life of Jesus because like we said, the enemy's tactic is to slowly to get us to doubt God, to question his goodness. Does he love me? Is he good to me? Is his word true? And he can continue to put little wedges in there between us and God and completely separate us from there. He wins. Now, I just want to be honest with you, okay? It's easy for me. I'm easily tempted. Let me phrase it this way. I'm easily tempted a lot, a lot of times to throw in the towel. They go, this is too hard. This isn't working out the way I want. And I could just easily just go, whatever. It reminded me of a time when I was about six or seven years old. And this is embarrassing, but just hang with me. I thought as a kid that my parents existed for my pleasure. Right? They are to do what I want when I want it. And if I ask enough times, they will finally give in and give me what I want. Well, that wasn't happening during this season of my life. It was really hard and frustrating. I remember as a kid, just be like, I want this, I want this. Yeah, why aren't you doing this and this and this? And I got really frustrated, right? And it was a real frustration for a six-year-old. And it was completely ridiculous, I know. But like, I want you to hear this. So one time, I don't remember what it was, but apparently my parents weren't going to budge. They weren't giving me what I wanted, when I wanted, you know, because they're not fulfilling their purpose to serve me. I decided that, hey, I'm going to grab my backpack. I'm going to pack up my belongings. And I'm going to walk out of the house and find my own way in this world. And so I did that. I went to my bedroom, put in my socks and my underwear, and that was about it. I didn't pack anything else. I just like, because it's all you need, right? And so I walked out the door, and my dad was standing in front of the door. He wouldn't let me go through. And he just did something that just completely still to this day is one of my favorite memories of my dad. He just got down, didn't say anything. He just picked me up, held me tight. He says, buddy, I love you. No matter what, I'm never leaving. I'm here for you. And, and I share that because, like I said, it's too easy for me to want to throw in the towel. I do that spiritually so often. Come on, let's just be honest. When you pray and there's a real need and a real desire in your heart for something, you're like, God, I'm praying. God, I know you're good, and so I'm taking this chance. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you, and he's not coming through the way you thought. He's not giving you exactly what you're praying for, or he's not answering on the timetable that you put upon him. At that moment, what happens to your heart? Isn't it easy in that moment to start questioning God's goodness? Does he listen? Does he care? God, what's wrong with you? And we do what I did when I was six-year-old. Well, I'm going to pack up my bags. I'm going to go on my own and figure this out on my own. I might ask God for some help over here, but in this issue, this is all me. We don't understand prayer if we do not understand the simple reality that we are helpless and needy and completely desperate for Jesus. The moment we start to think that we can do things on our own is the moment where this separation, this little wedge starts to happen between us and God. So I want to bring up a verse. And this is just going to help us understand the context of the story that I want to teach us this morning. And in John 15, 5, 
John 15 is one of the great stories where Jesus was teaching that he's the vine, we're the branches, we abide or remain in him, and as we do, we'll produce much fruit. Much fruit. But there's this little verse here that I want us to get because it's something that we just read through and go, oh yeah, I'm the branch, he's the vine, okay, good. It's this right here. For apart from me, you can do, say it with me, nothing. For apart from me, you can do something. You've got to let this one sit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We live in a DIY culture. Do it yourself. Figure it out. Go for it. What's the point of praying? God's sovereign. Why does he need me? If he already knew what he wanted to give me, why don't you give it to me right away? No, 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 no. We go with prayer and we don't understand the mystery and all these other things. The Bible doesn't answer the mystery. If he did, there would be no need for faith. He says, listen, apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, Jesus modeled this so incredibly well. His ministry that he lived and he modeled to his disciples were completely in dependence to the Father. He was fully God and fully man, and yet he lived in this relationship where he didn't want to get out of step with the Father. So he says in John 5, verse 19, he's like, listen, right? The Son can do nothing of his own accord. Like, like I only do what I see the Father doing, and I'm only going to say what I hear the Father say. Like, Jesus is like, listen, I'm dependent upon him. He was showing us what it meant to be human in his context. So this whole week, there was this question that God just, just put on my heart and it's been wrecking me, and I want to share it because I want to wreck you. And so I'm not the only one being challenged here, okay? And the question is this. If Jesus was saturated in prayer, are we more capable than Jesus? You study the Gospels. You look at Jesus. You see him praying all the time. Teaching dependence. In fact, like, if there's any part of Jesus' ministry where you could say, like, he actually, like, like, tried to go at it, it felt like a toil, or that he really put a lot of intensity into, it was praying. When he was in the garden, he was wrestling and struggling. Like, you don't ever see Jesus do that when it comes to healings. You don't ever see Jesus doing that when it comes to demons. Like, like you don't see that. It's just like in prayer, there's something about prayer that Jesus is like, I, this is my lifeline here. And I was thinking about this. Like, man, if he was saturated in prayer and he was completely dependent upon the Father, if I look at my life and if I was honest, Yes, I wouldn't come out and frankly say, yeah, I think I'm more capable of Jesus, but the way I live sadly reflects that. So, prayer. What is prayer? What do we need to learn about prayer? The disciples followed Jesus for three years. They saw him do all sorts of things. All sorts of things. Miracles and healings and resurrections and teaching and confrontation. Like, so many things. And there was only one thing that they asked Jesus to teach them specifically. 
Jesus, the disciples never asked Jesus how to do a healing ministry. They never asked Jesus how to do an exorcism ministry. They never asked Jesus how to preach three-point sermons with great alliterations, with an amazing intro, and a dynamite conclusion. They never asked Jesus how to do a small group ministry, which, by the way, there's small group tables in the back. Never asked Jesus how to build a church structure and boards, and but they saw something in Jesus that was completely missing in their life. They said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Like, when I think about that, I'm like, okay, that has to tell us something about how the disciples thought and experienced prayer. Because they're watching Jesus and they're seeing a completely different prayer life. They're seeing a completely sort of relationship dynamic between him and the Father. And maybe they thought prayer was ritual. Maybe they thought prayer was magical. Or maybe it was just wrote, or maybe they'd given up on prayer. Maybe they didn't understand how God was sovereign in prayer and asking. They were like, there's something different. Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And I love, I love this story. Luke 11. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, almost like he was doing what he normally does. He's praying. And in this scene, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray, as John taught his disciples. Jesus then said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And check this out. He goes on after giving him the framework of the Lord's Prayer, which I'm not going to get too much into. We have a sermon that we did in January on that. But he gives this parable in the context of teach us how to pray. So he said to them, which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Lord, teach us how to pray. And He says, okay, when you pray, you say, Father. Like, this is a big idea right here. This, this is a foreign concept to our relational dynamic in, with God in prayer. This was a new paradigm shift for the disciples. When Jesus was giving this framework of the Lord's prayer, he was basically telling them that there's a wrong way to pray and there's a right way to pray. And it has nothing to do with the mechanics of prayer. Like it, he's not saying, it's like, okay, when you pray, you got to make sure that you fold your hands, you close your eyes, you can't look around. And when you say amen, you got to make sure you do the appropriate hand squeeze. Not too hard, because then people are going to think you're... Like, it has nothing to do with the mechanics. It has nothing to do with how many times you pray or the words you necessarily use. What he was telling them is, it's really all about the approach. Because the emphasis of the, the Lord's prayer was, Father, 
And it's not like, oh, you, you know, like you're some distant, like super holy God. Like he absolutely is because he says, hallowed be your name. But this concept of the word father is paternal. Like you got to understand that when you pray, you got to see the framework of prayer in a child-father dynamic. When you pray, it's not just some religious ritual thing. You've got to understand, he's your father and you are the child and children are dependent upon their parents. So when you pray, it doesn't matter how you come, you've got to come in this context like you're the child and he's the father. And fathers want to love their children. They want to do everything good for their children. You've got to understand the context. So think about it. What would change in your prayer life right now if all of your prayers that you gave, you shifted to this father-child dynamic, that you understood that, like, I'm, I'm daddy's little girl, and I'm coming to my father. I'm his little boy, I'm coming to the father. When you pray, you say, father. It's a childlike dependence. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when you pray, you say, Father. That's meant to remind us that, oh my goodness, I, I'm dependent upon him. Like he even says, like you ask for your provision. Like give us this day our daily bread. Lead me not in temptation. In other words, be the Father. Protect me. I want your will. Like these are massive things that he's doing in our hearts. And then he tells this story. A parable, which usually is a comparison but this one's a contrast. It's a parable that's taught to emphasize the how much more. And so I want you to have this in the front of your mind. Why does Jesus give this parable in the context of learning how to pray? In other words, what does Jesus want us to get and understand about the Father? What does he want us to understand and get about the Father? Absolutely important. Absolutely important. Let's look at this story real quick. Verse 5, chapter 11. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within. There's some comedy in this story, okay? There's some real good comedy here. And he answered from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Okay? So culturally speaking, we've got to understand how this works. So hospitality was a big deal in this culture, okay? If you didn't show hospitality, especially to a guest... Like, they had this thing with, like, shame and honor. So, if, like, if you didn't show hospitality, shame would be placed upon you. Not only would it be placed upon you, it would also be placed upon the community that you live in, okay? So, this guy, Fred, has a friend who came from out of town in the middle of the night. And all of a sudden, he comes, he's like, I, I have nothing to give him, right? So, what does he do? Because he understands that if I don't show hospitality, like, there's a chance that shame would be put upon me. And if I don't give that, then, like, like my lack of responsibility might put shame on the rest of the community. So, he's like, you know, what do, what do I got to do? How do I do this? Like, he can't just go to some gas station and buy a loaf of bread for one dollar, 
Like, he just doesn't have that. They usually have to prepare their food, and he doesn't have any in this moment. So he's like, what do I do? Oh, Tom. Tom does. He's got a big family. He had to make bread because if he wakes up in the morning, he doesn't have food for his kids. Well, that's no good. I'll go to Tom's house because if I don't, I might actually put Tom in shame too. So he, he goes over to this house, and I can totally see how this plays out. Tom, hey, Tom, you wake. Obviously, he's not because it's like midnight, it's two in the morning. They're ready, fast asleep. He's like, I don't want to. I could just picture he's just looking around like, Tom, you awake? Yeah, I am now. <laughs> like, I just like picture this whole thing, right? And so it's like we got to understand, in this setting, people only had these two-room homes, like a one room for a large living area and then another room where everybody would sleep, okay? I'm picturing Tom has three kids and they are two, five, and eight. Don't ask me why. I remember trying to put our first two kids to sleep. And um, it was hard. They both had their own issues when it comes to sleep. But like, I remember my middle child, I won't say his name, Braden, but the middle child, I remember he was really touchy. And there were some nights where like, I had to rock him in our rocking chair. And like, I, you, know, you would sing to him. You would do anything until he falls asleep. And then when he falls asleep, right, it's like this slow movement. You're like, Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. And it's just like you don't make any big movements. You get there. You get to the crib. You lean up. You're real slow. And next thing you know, you're doing, I'm doing a core workout, right? Because you're like, that's the only way you're going to do this, right? And you finally get him down and you hold. Because you can't slip out your hands too quick. You want him to adjust to the mattress. And then you finally do it. And then it's a slow step back. And then our house always had a creak right about right there. And that would always wake him up. And you would have to repeat the cycle. So if Fred came to my house when all my kids are sleeping and you're knocking on the door, you're going to wake up my kids and my wife. Boy, you just jeopardized our friendship. I don't even care. Shame or no shame. I'm not getting up for you. Right? So like, okay, Jesus is going, okay, let me teach you how to pray. Here's the story. This dude's coming to his house and he knows that this is really inconvenient. It's really inconvenient. And he tells them, look at verse 8. He's like, I tell you, don't let those words fall. I tell you. Like this is the Son of God saying, I'm going to tell you some truth here. I tell you, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Of course, now they're not friends in this moment, Right? But yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him what he needs. Well, what does that word mean? It means a shamelessness that comes from persistent boldness. Like he's there knocking at the door shamelessly. He's being bold and persistent because he knows as like, I, I got to have bread. There's, there's nothing I can do. And he's asking for basically every piece of bread that that guy has for his family. He knows what he's asking. He knows the risk. But he's like, listen, I have to do this. I'm so sorry. But he's going to keep going. And Tom in the house goes, boy, he's not going to give up. I'm going to have to give up. I'm going to have to get up and give him exactly what he wants so he can go away and so my family can have some rest. 
How much more is your father? Like, like that's the idea. It's like, Jesus, God's not like a grumpy friend. This is a how much more. And then he goes on to talk. Look at this in verse 9. For everyone. Let's ask this question. Does Jesus lie? No. For everyone asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He doesn't lie. Teach us how to pray. Father. Okay, you understand the framework. Now let me teach you how you should approach me. Don't stop. There's a promise for everyone who asks, receives, and to the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father? And he goes in and starts saying, listen, this is who I am. Ask, seek, knock. These are present imperatives in the Greek, which means ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. And I know the question right now is like, like, why would God do this? If he already knows the answer and he already knows like, how it's going to work, why does he make us keep knocking? Why does he make us keep asking? Like, is he like, you know, cold-hearted? Do we need to convince him and all this kind of stuff? Listen, I don't know all the answers to the mysteries of prayer. Jesus doesn't give us those answers. But what he does give us is saying, listen, keep asking. You keep seeking. And you keep knocking. Like, this ought to inspire our prayer life. Because there's a promise here. Folks, there's a promise here. It will be given. You will find. It will be open to you. He doesn't lie. He's like, I want you to keep praying. I want you to keep asking. I want you to be bold. I want you to be shameless. And I want you to be persistent. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. That's how he wants us to pray. I don't know why God does it this way. I I can't give you any answers. But here's what I do know. Because I don't know why he does what he does, that doesn't mean that God is any less good. That doesn't mean God is any less loving, that God is any less faithful. It doesn't mean any of that. It just means he's my father in heaven and he knows what's best. Like, isn't that the struggle as a child to a father, right? Like, that's why I packed up my underwear and my socks and I was going to leave home because I didn't think dad knew best. I thought I knew best. So I was like, peace out. We do that all the time with prayer. Why do you get disheartened in prayer? Why do you get frustrated in prayer? It's not always because we don't understand the theology of God. It's oftentimes because we want what we want when we want it, and we're not happy with the way he's going about it. He's like, listen, you keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking. It will come. It might not come exactly how you're asking. It might not come exactly how you're seeking. It might not be opened exactly when you first knock. But it will. It will. Watch this. 
What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Now, I don't know if you know Lucas Jackson. He's our youth pastor, okay? Youth pastor. Big truck, big F1, six million. I don't know what it is. Probably has like 1,500 guns and 500 pairs of boots. I don't know. Just big hunter guy. We were doing our sermon prep during this, and we were like, you know, I was reading this. I was like, what father would give this and this? He goes, I would. And I'm like, dude, we're just going to let that one sit, right? Well, father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, which is a rhetorical statement, which we, we would all go, well, no one, unless you're Lucas. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Well, no one. Okay. If you then, who are evil, in other words, like you're fallen people, your heart is deceitful, you're not holy, you're not perfect, you're not right, you don't know all things, you don't have all the power. So if even you who are evil, you know how to give gifts to your children, how much more? Folks, I wrestle with that. There's so many times when I pray, I'm like, I don't know if that's true. How much more? How much more would the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In other words, this is like Jesus saying, the Father will always give you His very best. It might not be exactly what you're asking. It might not be exactly what you're seeking after. Because let's just be honest for a moment. What we're thinking might be bread, like, Lord, I want this, might actually be a scorpion. We're asking for a scorpion. God's like, I'm not going to give you that. I got something better. I mean, think about this. When you looked at your life, when there was desperation, you realized that there was this issue between you and the Father, and you were dealing with shame and guilt, and you didn't have peace with God. Like, is your prayer request that God would send his son to the cross? Would that ever be a prayer request we would make? No. But he knew what was best. The Holy Spirit really is the answer to everything. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. I mean, what if, you, what if, what if you're asking is not the best thing? Like, or the timing is not right. Like, he will always give the best. Always. If we were to look at Luke chapter 18, this, the parable of the persistent widow, it's another teaching on prayer. And he taught this parable of this persistent widow who kept coming to this judge who didn't fear God, didn't care about people, and she just kept coming and coming and coming and coming. Verse 1 of chapter 18 says, and he taught them this parable so that they would not lose heart. Do you think Jesus knows that prayer is hard for us? Absolutely. And he doesn't even give us the theological understanding of the sovereignty of God in it. All he tells us is, don't lose heart. Keep coming. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. And I know you're not going to understand everything, but don't let that change how you see this relationship with the Father. Do not for a moment think that you're not dependent upon the Father. God is so much more. So why persistence? Why does God ask us to be persistent in prayer? I'm telling you, it's not because we didn't say the right words yet. It's not because we didn't do it in the right like, format. 
is not because God is ignorant and has no clue what's going on in our lives. It's not that God is unwilling to answer and we have to bother him until he's ready to get up and answer us. It has nothing to do with any of that. He's a good father. Sometimes persistence is what we need because it reflects how we see our relationship with God. Persistent prayer oftentimes reflects, it shows how we see this relationship with God. Prayer at the heart of it is, I have a need and I'm coming to someone who can deal with that need. I'm coming to to my Father. So every time we're praying, it's just reflecting this dependent relationship. And so if we're not being persistent in prayer, sometimes we just got to be honest. If we're not being persistent in prayer, maybe we don't see God as our Father, but rather as a slot machine that gives us what we want when we want it. God, I'm coming in today. Be too. Persistence shows that we're just like a child. It's dependence. Oh my goodness. I remember my middle child. I love my son, okay? But I just, I just, like, I don't know why these are the memories that are flooding me right now. It's like, he, he, he would like two in the morning, daddy, daddy, daddy. And I'm like, like, you know, Chris and I would wake up and be like, let's act like we're not awake. You know, we're not awake. We're not awake. Daddy, daddy, what? I need a tissue. <laughs> Go get one, you know. I need a tissue. And he's not going to stop until you get him the tissue. I, I, like there's something like on this, like our flesh sees that as annoying, but yet there's something beautiful that he can feel that he can be that shamelessly persistent and bold with his dad. Jesus kind of wants us to be like that. It's reflecting how we see our character or our heart, this relationship with God, right? That's why sometimes he wants us to be persistent. Another reason why he wants us to be persistent is because it reveals our heart. It reveals our heart. The more we keep praying, the more we'll actually discover our motives. The more we keep praying, you never know that you start realizing like, oh my goodness, what I'm actually asking for is a scorpion. Or how many of you, how many of you have ever experienced this where you prayed, you didn't get the answer to the prayer, but later on it comes and you look at it, you're like, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord, that you didn't give me what I asked for. His ways are above our ways. Like he's always good. But as we pray persistently, it shows a lot about our hearts. Like, do we really care about that problem, about that need? Are we continually coming to him? Right? It shows so much right in here. I don't know about you, but a lot of times my prayers are very much wrapped up in self-gratification. God, here's what I need. I need, I need, I need. I want, I want, I want. It's just like a child. Sometimes when mom and dad are saying no, or they're silent, and they're trying to teach their kids patience, and they start to understand certain things. God is trying to develop things in our hearts, which leads me to the third point. Persistent prayer reveals where we are placing our confidence. God cares about our faith. Apart from faith, we can't please God. And so he wants to develop our faith. So sometimes God's silence is the very means that's going to cultivate that. 
Like when we pray, we're placing our confidence in God that he's our father, he's going to answer, he's going to hear, right? When we start talking about asking, seeking, and knocking, those are faith words. Will you keep asking? Will you keep seeking? Will you keep knocking? Where are you placing, where are you placing your confidence? Because there's a promise here. It develops something inside of us. So I want to ask a question, because this is how we start to discern some of these things. Does your confidence waver when God doesn't respond the way you want and when you want? The safe and sobering answer is probably he wants to strengthen that faith. Are you prone to think that maybe God doesn't love you? If there's silence? Like, are you prone to think that God no longer cares for you if there's silence? In, verse, in chapter 18 of Luke, Jesus was teaching about the persistent will and judge. He says, the Father, he will bring justice speedily. And we read that, we're like, well, where is it? If he's going to do it quickly, he's not talking about like the duration between when you ask and when he does it. What he's basically saying there is like, when I act, I will act quickly. But I will not tell you when I act, but when I do, you will know. Builds up our confidence. Sometimes, okay, listen to this. This took me a little bit to get my head around. Sometimes God answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. Sometimes God would answer our prayers if he would give us exactly what we knew, what he knew, what he knew. Read your notes, Brandon. Don't go off script. <laughs> In other words, he always gives the best. Do you believe that God withholds good from you? I mean, look at Psalm 84 for a moment. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk upright, uprightly. He, he doesn't withhold good. If he gave us a son, how much more would he give us? How much more would the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? When we look at these things, folks, I'm telling you, we can boldly persist in prayer. Boldly persist in prayer. I, I, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. There's been some pretty dark seasons in my life, dark seasons in the life of my marriage. And there's been things that, you know, Carissa or myself have been praying for, and then Travis, like, like horrible things would happen, and you're like, or you're not watching it happen, and you're seeing the circumstance almost go from, like, bad to worse. It's so easy to start to question and wonder. But that's where this whole fight comes in, because the enemy wants to, in those moments, go, he doesn't love you. See, he doesn't care about you. See, you got to go on your own. See, but that's where you got to go watch and pray. You keep praying. He's your father. You might understand why. You might understand when. 
but he promised that he would not withhold good. He promised that he would give the Holy Spirit. He promised that he would respond. He promised that we would find. He promised that the door would be opened. And when he acts, he will act quickly. It's a faith thing. So I want us to kind of get back to square one. Maybe this morning you struggle with, the, like with God's love. You don't know if you can be confident in God's love. Hebrews 4 verse 16 tells us that because of Jesus, we can come boldly. We can approach the throne of grace boldly. But get this. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, it was as if he was saying, I want you to persistently come boldly to me. You'll never bother me. I will never get tired of you coming. I will never get worn out with you asking over and over. I want you to be dependent. I want you to place your trust in me. So maybe this morning you've grown hard-hearted towards prayer. Maybe you've given up praying. Maybe prayer to you is just dinner, offering, kind of ritual. Maybe you really wrestle with some theological mysteries that are really hard. What we know is that Jesus made it clear that the Father wants you and me to keep coming. To keep coming. So whatever it is that is there, And yes, there might be silence in your life right now when it comes to that prayer. But that does not mean that God isn't loving. Or it doesn't mean that God isn't working. He is. Let God be God. Give God the room. Because there's going to be a moment when we get to heaven and we see things, we're going to be like, wow. Praise you, Jesus. It's faith. So, Father, we we do come humbly before you this morning. Lord, you tell us in 1 Peter 5 that as we humble ourselves, you will exalt us. You will answer us at the proper time. Lord, you didn't give us the theological answers, but you, in your grace, knew that prayer would be hard you knew that we would be discouraged you know that our hearts would get hardened with some of these things and Lord we thank you that you taught your disciples and consequently us to not lose heart but to keep praying keep praying you're at work in more ways than one Lord we trust you we love you and in some ways Lord we miss you Father, we ask that you would make us dependent. We pray this in Jesus' name.